0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Grip Lock Foundation Disc Golf's weekly podcast. I'm joined, as always, by Trevor. My name's Hunter, and today we got uh, quite an interesting show. Um, yeah. We have basically the Preserve was this past weekend. I think that brought up a few different questions on um, the state of disc golf and some stuff like that, but let's first just jump into the Preserve results so people kind of understand what we're talking about here. Um, Do you want to take the men's side? uh, Who took it down and what it was looking like?
1: Yeah, so we had Nico Castro back on top. It's been a while. It's been a while. This guy's been in the game for a long time. Very controversial figure. At one point, he was number one in the world, I think. Yeah. Won a world title, didn't he? I don't know if he did. Or no, he won US US. titles. Yeah. Yeah. he won the U.S. title in what oh nine? I think it was something like that. It's a long time ago.
0: I just remember the like uh, him and Will shoestrick in like some documentary back in like, yeah. twenty twelve. He has a U.S. title, anyways. Yeah. So he was good,
1: <laughs> and yeah, kind of one of those players that I wasn't sure if his game was compatible with not having like a huge sidearm or anything. But hey, he won. Uh, Simon and Calvin tied for second, so Calvin Heimburg continually second place is the
0: pattern here. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to break through,
1: and they were they were
0: both one stroke shy of Nico. Yeah. It was uh, some electric finish there. We'll talk about that in the second. It was quite but. the
1: race. Uh Nico averaged 1061. Yeah, for the win, which for three rounds.
0: From what we've seen recently, that's pretty low. That's a pretty low winning average. Yeah. That's true. We're we're used to right now seeing like 1070, 1080 yeah. to win a to win an event. Not saying that it was any worse play, but that just kind of speaks to how ratings just don't how make ratings, sense. <laughs> yeah, how ratings don't make sense, and how the course is playing, which we'll talk about that here in a second. On the women's side, we had Paige dominating, yes, yet again, uh, winning by thirteen strokes over Katrina Allen, who had two strokes on Missy Gannon. But Paige here dominated a 1,009. 1,009 average rating. Yeah, pretty pretty insane from an FPO field to average over a thousand um Impressive. It, it makes you think that she's she's gonna be 990 to 1000 rated here pretty soon yeah she's definitely quality enough to be a thousand rated player yeah. which it based on this field the field at the preserve Paige is already she's only 12 strokes above 12 points above sarah hokum um ratings wise but uh she beat her by 20 strokes over the course of the weekend um but if Paige was able to push to 990, there's a chance she would be close to 20 points higher than the rest of the field yeah uh depending obviously the rest of the field would push up as well but um yeah it was it was an interesting weekend because the course see it's weird because the course isn't easy like if if your average player went out there it wouldn't be like oh this was an easy course yeah but for a pro tour event this was an easy course way too easy not enough trouble a little
1: too short some tweeners
0: a very very easy course so how i wrote it is basically this was a birdie or die course for touring pros
1: oh so much i mean when you've got like guys slightly messing up a shot and just getting ticked off that's how you know it's birdie or die because they're like par is unacceptable basically in their mind
0: yeah i mean that's it's an interesting thing like like i said because it's not an easy course so it's like hard calling it easy from being a a player who's looking (laughs) at it like okay i i'm hoping i could shoot like a little under par but when you're looking at players shooting you know nico shot 41 under through three rounds yeah when when
1: you're talking about guys who throw consistently can like throw an open 500 foot drive and they can make putts Inside of fifty feet, pretty consistently too. Yeah, that's when you're like, all right, it is easy.
0: If you're if you're wondering, okay, how easy was this field? Actually, um, we did we looked at it. Round one, six under was thousand rated, mm-hmm. so that's already playing about six strokes, maybe even more harder than the DDO, or easier, Mike's sorry, easier than the DDO because I think. Brody shot even the first round at DDO and it was ten eighteen, mm-hmm. so six under is a thousand. So I would guess I would guess seven under is basically thousand eighteen. So about seven strokes easier than the Country Club was playing. Yeah. Um, and then on top of it, if that wasn't enough evidence that this course was easy, only people that shot over par were places ninety five to one hundred and two, so that's seven people, eight people maybe, uh, that shot over par in the entire field. So 102 players on the MPO side, and there's only like seven shooting over par. Yeah, that just kind of shows how easy this course is. And on the FPO side, only places 11 through 17 were over par. The top eight players were under par, and then the 9th ninth, and tenth were were tied at even. Um, but so the thing that I think the, the question this brings up is. I think this is an interesting topic here because is birdie or die golf more entertaining from a fan's perspective
1: or less? (laughs) This is a very tricky conversation. They have this in ball golf a lot too um, because every year the US Open for them is like the one that the USGA tries to make the course so hard and there's the line between because they want guys to finish around par for that to win. Yeah. And that used to be like doable, but now it seems that guys have gotten too good, technology's, equipment's gotten too good. And now they have to make the course so hard that the players just get super mad. Yeah. And it's like, now we got to find that line in disc golf. Where do we want winners to be finishing at? Do we want these guys to be shooting, you know, 10 under par is a good round, or do we want three under par to be a good (laughs) round? And then if you're saying, well, yeah, I'd rather have guys closer to par, well, how do we accomplish that without making the course just stupid difficult to the mm-hmm. point where the players are just not having the fun. The players are frustrated, yeah. And because in my mind, I've always been a guy who's like, I want to see guys struggle to shoot par. Like, I think that's that's like the name of golf is like you got to shoot par. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, there's something electrifying about shooting 18 down or whatever. Like, sure. But I don't know. I think the way I think too – I don't mind. I want to see a tour where there's a mix, right? Mm-hmm. You've got events where guys are going to shoot low, and then you have got events where guys are going to be struggling. But this one was too low for me. Yeah, I don't want to see birdie or die ever. Well, I think <laughs> I don't yeah. think
0: uh, like I think what you were saying is is right. Like I, I we talked about his part too soft and disc golf like a few yeah. weeks ago and stuff like that. Um, and I think you there is that line of like where do we want golf disc golf to be? But with this event and with other events where it is like, I think the Memorial is somewhere in this category as well. Mm -hmm. Um, when it becomes too easy for the touring pros, when the course becomes too easy, it removes the separation. Yeah. So therefore, like if we look at the top 10 on the MPO side, 10th place was Anthony Barella at 34 under. So he was only seven strokes out of it after three rounds, 10th place. Yeah. Uh, I mean to get, to get like more than 10 strokes out of it, you got to go to like 15th place. um, and so what that kind of does is basically what that shows is players can mess up and still birdie, yeah. and so therefore, like it's not that you don't. It, it's harder for the best players to separate themselves from the field. Yeah,
1: because it, it is exciting to an extent to be like, okay, we're going on whole hole 18. We got three people tied at first. Like that's yeah, that's yeah, fun exactly. to watch. But it's fun to watch on the 18th hole, and it kind of robs. Those Yeah, like you yeah. said, those good players are having a chance to separate themselves.
0: That's what's tough is, like, from a fan's perspective, that was a ton of fun. To, like, step up in the 18th hole, you had Simon, Calvin, and Nico all tied at, was it 39 under? It was 39. Yeah, and yeah. so they were actually tied with Emerson Keith, who finished in fourth. They were all tied, four-way tie at 39th. But Emerson was already in the clubhouse at 39. So, basically, they just had to birdie this hole. Mm-hmm. So, then you see, they're all going for the eagle. Yeah, Simon and Calvin... Simon's disc got slapped by the wind yeah. straight down. Calvin threw a good drive. Calvin <laughs> did, yeah, but he couldn't convert on the eagle. Yeah, And Nico ends up converting on the eagle with a great, great shot. And it was, you know, one of those like big time moments of like, whoa, that was sick. But at what cost? Because like what what did we sacrifice yeah. there? And because I think the, the whole issue was there were times where like you could throw a, a roller end up off the fairway, way off the fairway, but there's no penalty for that. Yeah. There's no... You're not even struggling. You're still, most of the time, you're throwing the e- the roller, hoping to get a look at Eagle, and then you're still going to have a tap-in birdie. Yeah.
1: And you want to talk about soft par. Like, let's make it take 18 there, a hole that it seems like all of our good arms are getting to, in two, with decent success. Let's make it a par four. Yeah. <laughs> like, what's wrong <laughs> with that?
0: Well, I think the... So, the tough part, too, about this conversation is par is obviously... Relative or like yeah. basically it's irrelevant because yeah. if if we change all the pars in this course, the scores don't change mm-hmm. you know what I mean so yes, Nico might have won at 10 under, but the separation would have been the same you know what I mean so I think that's where the par par kind of falls apart when you really break it down to like this level of the easiness of a course because mm-hmm. yeah you can turn easy par fours into hard par threes, but does that change people's mindsets enough that now the separation grows? probably not i think the what you have to do on a course like this is instead of changing the par per se you would have to add more ob or make the course longer or just not play it as a pro tour event one one of those threes (laughs) needs to happen yeah but um because if you add some ob which that's what the memorial has always done Mm -hmm. is there's that ob so that yes you can shoot 17 16 15 under but you can also shoot way over par Yeah, Uh, And that's where the separation comes in because that allows the top players to consistently be putting drives in the fairway where, you know, if you want to get aggressive, now you're risking going OB versus why the heck wouldn't I get aggressive? There's no risk. Yeah. I think that's kind of the tough part. Um, But the birdie or die in general in disc golf, I think, doesn't really have a place. Because, like, for instance, there's local leagues here, right? And there's one local course, Peaksview Park that if you play to the short pads, everyone has a chance at winning. It's true. So, like, if we go out to the short pads and I'm 960, you know, someone's in town that's 990 and we got a 900-rated player and we're playing the short tees and the farthest hole is 250 feet, the separation's kind of out the window because you don't have to be consistently placing far shots, yeah. which is where that separation comes in. It's just if you can throw a putter 250 feet straight, you're going to have a look at birdie on a lot of these yeah. holes,
1: and that's the thing too. I think with um, like having higher pars, you make a good point there. Every time you have to throw a shot, you know the pros are going to have more consistency. So, like on a par three, you got to throw one good shot and then make a putt. On a par five, you got to throw maybe three good shots in a row, yeah, and then make a putt. That's what there needs to be more of. There's got to be more. Oh, You know, pro tour courses, you gotta be able to throw multiple good shots. They have to be good. You can't have well the drive is really easy, then you gotta throw a good shot. And you you gotta
0: gotta, be penalized for the bad shots in some way.
1: You gotta be able to throw consecutively
0: really good shots. Exactly. Yeah, because that's where the separation comes in. Exactly. So just to throw this out here, Nico won averaging ten sixty. Paul was not there. Yeah. If Paul goes there and averages one point above his rating, he ties for the win. Yeah. Paul hasn't been averaging one point above his rating. He's been averaging like 10 or 20. Yeah. In the last, well, really just DDO, but even go back throughout this year, he's been averaging above 1060. So then it brings in, if Paul was out there, is he shooting another 18 down? Is he averaging, is he going 45 under, shooting 15, 15, 15? I think it's likely. <laughs> yeah. So like, that's where, that's where I think this course was just a little bit too easy, but it, it brought up some good talking points of like, I'm sure if I, I'm going to scroll down here and find a, a pretty big name. Greg Barsby. If I'm Greg Barsby, or Jeremy Colling, holy cow, right below him, I'm frustrated at this course. Even A.J. Risley, okay? The three names I just named, Greg Barsby, 35th place, 34th place, Jeremy Colling, 43rd place, and A.J. Risley, 56th place. If I'm those players, I'm frustrated because what's happening here is they probably got on like a par streak, where they're playing good, they're not playing bad, but they just weren't able to get up and down for birdies. Yeah and so that just leaves them way behind but if you put you know if you put them on a course like a lot of the names above them i don't know like no offense to any of these names names but andrew brown jonathan nicholson quentin becker uh chris clemens i know daniel polk those two i know okay now we're getting into people i know gavin rathburn right. though uh timothy t3j johnson jr like these players all beat greg barsby jeremy coleen aj risley you, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I get you saying. And the reason is it's a birdie or die type feel where that separation where Barsby could have pulled ahead or C- Coleing could have pulled ahead because of their consistency kind of goes out the window because if players that are like 960, 970, 980, which these guys are all, I think they're all over 1,000 yeah. um, that were beating them. But the, okay, no, Paul Olman or Dustin Honold was 980. Oh, wow. So like players like that, if they mess up here and there, which is what kind of separates the 970, 980 from 1,000, if you mess up here or there and you're not penalized, you can still salvage a par or get up and down for birdie versus if you're playing a harder course where you're penalized by either woods, like tight woods where you can't get up and down, or OB of some sorts or some type of penalty, that's where you know the touring pros can shine and show why they're on tour because yeah. they're consistent versus... You know, if you make a mistake, you can still birdie. I almost
1: think that, like, and we've seen over the years now, kind of woods golf is not nearly as popular, mm-hmm. for, especially for pro tour events, because think of spectators, media, all these things. It's yeah. not as friendly. And, yeah, I don't think woods golf is really a future of the sport. But I think it's a lot easier to make courses difficult without having to do unreasonable things when you're in the woods now the woods brings in a whole lot of other things as far as unfairness yeah um but it is interesting
0: i I, yeah that's like that's a good point because woods golf right now like championship level woods golf i think is like our not our best bet but like i love it right yeah i think like wide fairways but like if you're off the fairway, you're screwed by natural woods. Yeah. Is great, but it's a great point that going forward, that's going to mean like it's harder to get live coverage in the woods. It's harder to get hundreds or thousands of spectators in the woods. Mm-hmm. Um, all that's hard. So it's going to be interesting to see where the sport goes. Um, but uh, yeah, I, um, I think the final thing with Birdie or Die is... And I, we kind of touched on it, but I just want like the final answer here. Is it more or less entertaining, from a sp- from, from from a fan's perspective? The whole weekend having scores this close, uh, it was probably very frustrating to be a player in the event. But from a fan's perspective, was that better? It's
1: probably pretty mixed. I would think. <laughs> in my opinion, it's even though it can be fun to watch, it's not an answer for the sport so no i think i think a lot of people will say yes i loved that
0: i loved the finish i loved the 18th like we were talking about earlier but as far as the weekend went i was a little bored with it because players weren't being challenged exactly so you would see a player mess up and it didn't even seem like he messed up Mm -hmm. and so that to me as a fan it part of me just like seeing the human side of disc golfers i like seeing oh my word he just threw ob two times in a row oh my gosh he just took a snowman on a par five. Oh my gosh he just hit the, the first tree off the tee yeah part of me likes that because it makes it not more relatable but not like watching players shoot ridiculously under par and where it looks like they're not messing up is kind of like a turnoff i feel like to some players because it's like holy cow like they seem so amazing yeah when in all reality yeah they're amazing players but this course was just nothing punishing them Mm -hmm. so they could mess up and they could still get up and down um so i think the the finish was more entertaining uh you know it kept you on your edge of your seat but i don't think how you got to that finish was more entertaining if that makes sense yeah i agree but it was definitely a fun tournament to watch and speaking of entertainment on the fpo side um some i don't want to say controversy but we we had some stuff starting to stir in the pot a little bit because some people were starting to call page pierce dominating quote-unquote stale or boring enough so that it triggered hannah Macbeth to tweet excited to be a part of a new podcast launching this week focusing on fpo and in doing so show everyone why fpo is not quote-unquote boring someone responded to this stating that if page didn't have competition soon fpo would be stale which hannah responded to and said was michael jordan dominating years with the bulls stale was paul mcbeth in 2015 stale alabama football golden state warriors dynasties in sport are never stale or boring they are the reason people tune in lots to unpack there
1: yeah um so basically <laughs> very tough when we're cross comparing like that very yeah, tough
0: <laughs> i'll say basically like over the past several events i think page has won by like 30 or 40 strokes total. It's
1: usually over after the first round, if not the second. In this case, I think it was the second round.
0: So, I'm going to start off with my opinion here. I agree with where Hannah's coming from, but I also agree with the response that someone had of, if Paige doesn't have competition soon, FPO will be stale. Yeah, Um, I get what Hannah's saying of, like, Paige dominating in and of itself is not stale. Yeah, But I think the part that makes FPO in its current state, which I understand the field is not full. We're missing players, which we talked about, finish players and stuff like that. We're missing them in the field right now. I get that. But with the current field and the current state, what's making it quote-unquote stale is that Paige can basically go on cruise control before she throws her first tee shot. She's just... No one's touching her right now. Yeah. And she's playing great golf, and but no one's pushing her. So I think that's where it gets quote-unquote stale or boring is that... No one's pushing Paige mm-hmm. to shoot these rounds. Paige is just going out there and shooting these rounds. And to be honest with you, if she didn't shoot them. It wouldn't matter. She won. Yeah, it. you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of. I don't know. What, what do you think about this? Well, do, do you think that Paige dominating is making it stale, or the lack the, of competition?
1: Yeah, the argument with like the different dynasties is is interesting. Um, I think in a way, yeah, that's that's applicable. Like people like seeing greatness. Um, but you have to remember like the warriors there's there's a couple points to this number 1 those dynasties weren't blowing out their competition every yeah. time now the warriors they had they were winning a lot of games you know they went what 73 yeah, and 9 yeah they still lost um, the championship but they lost year. the championship that year even <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: um and you know it wasn't always a blowout um you know it was alabama football was another one like they played in close title games during that dynasty and they weren't winning consecutive years a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, and the other thing is people get tired of dynasties. The Golden State yeah. Warriors, people hated them yeah. after a while. Alabama football that's what happens. people are disgusted with the, Alabama the football.
0: Like the Patriots have yeah. Massachusetts and the New England area is their yeah. fan base and then the rest of the country roots for everyone but the Patriots, it yeah. seems like and that's what I mean, that's kind of what dynasties do. Yeah. And the thing is if you're page, I mean Good for you. Like you, yeah. like she doesn't care. Yeah, she, you know she's
1: she's not doing anything wrong out there. No, like she's she's, just she's a dominant athlete right now in the sport. It's not her fault. Um, but yeah, I mean people are definitely. I think I'm, I hate to say it. They're gonna get tired of it. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just it's got to be somebody has got to get motivated in that division to just work hard and chase her down. And I I think it's tough too in the FPO when you have somebody. Who is just soaking up all the winnings, too? Like, <laughs> that is very discouraging. It is, it can be tough. You know, touring and disc golf in general is just tough and dedicating like a lot of your life to like working hard at it and becoming better at it. So I get it. Um, but yeah, somebody, we just need at least one person to start pushing her to where, we can at least have a duel, you know? Yeah. Like the years where we had Paul and Ricky, like there were some a lot of events where it was just Paul and Ricky up there at the top, but that yeah. was enough because we had somebody.
0: Yeah, I think in twenty sixteen, if Paul and Ricky were both at an event, I'm pretty sure every event one of those two won. Oh yeah. Uh, and for a while on the FPO side, that was Paige and Kat. Yeah. And
1: Paige I, got better.
0: <laughs> well yeah, Paige got better and Katrina's putting got worse mm-hmm. out of nowhere. And I think it's it's all mental. It's gotta be. <laughs> But I tell you, it is. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, that's what's a little bit frustrating is Katrina Allen, throwing-wise, is right there. Yes. If she can just figure out whatever... I don't want to say went wrong because it's not like her putting is... Her putting's bad. But it's not <laughs> like her putting, like magically disappeared like there was clearly something along the line where she just lost confidence yeah and all she needs is that trigger to flip where she has confidence again mm-hmm. and then i think we're right back in the like golden era of fpo where it's like we had paul and ricky now we have Paige and Kat again until that happens though yeah fpo is gonna be a little bit i don't want to say boring to watch but it's the same thing of if paul was doing this on the mpo side people would like it for a little bit, and then on, then it would get boring. Yeah, fast. Oh yeah, because it. So she brought up the, the most applicable one is Paul McBeth in 2015. Was he stale? So I went back and looked at his winning. Like, what was his stroke differentials? Um, you know, because he dominated. You no, know, he. The worst he came in was third place. Yeah, one of his third place finishes was the Aussie Open warm up, which was a C tier. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, the dude, greatest year of disc golf ever. You know, we'll debate that later maybe, but don't at me. <laughs> um, so, was he in 2015 still? Well, most of the time he was winning by four or five. Mm-hmm. A lot of his wins were by four or five. Which is not a that is ton. close. That's yeah That's very close. Uh, sometimes he would jump up and win by like nine or ten. And then other times he would come in second or third. The One of the times, the most notable, I think, quote-unquote, runaway win Paul had was 2015 Worlds. Mm-hmm. But what was special about that Worlds is... He didn't have hot round round one, didn't have hot round round two, yeah. had a horrible round three. I think he was, he was either barely on chase card or on the third card going yeah. in after round three. Well,
1: that was what, this is back when worlds had like a million rounds, they had six rounds, yeah. six rounds in a final night. What a joke.
0: <laughs> uh, so round three, he's, I don't even think he's on, he might've been on chase card. He might've just made it on chase card. And then he goes course record, course record, pretty sure a third course record in a row, and then just has a victory lap because he was already up like nine. Yeah. That's what
1: Paul used to do back in the day yeah. was just have some awful opening rounds and then just start chasing. I yeah. kind
0: of miss it. It was exciting. Because that's the thing. That's the thing about it is, yes, Paul was dominating, but it wasn't stale or boring because of the competition. Yeah. Because in 2015, he still had Rick. Mm-hmm. In 2015, you know, there was still, Shoestrick was still up at the top of the game. Um, You know, there's tons of players that were still up there. I think. MPO side has even gotten more exciting since then. Yeah. Um. But to be honest with you, I just think that Paige Pierce is a little bit ahead of her time, skill wise. Yeah. In the FPO field.
1: Yeah, I'd agree. Because if you take her away, you've got you've all got kinds some, of possibilities. Yeah, you got all
0: kinds of battles going on because yeah. you don't know who's going to come in second place. And that's yeah. Right now, that's almost what's making FPO exciting is yeah okay page round one's over page one let's watch I, second third and fourth i and see do what's think the
1: only interesting thing well not the only interesting thing but something certainly to watch is the stage is set for somebody to dethrone her yeah especially at like a world's obviously not this year but you know when that comes around um and when somebody does beat Page, it's going to make for a very interesting golf. Everybody's going to be tuning in when, oh my goodness, Paige is down one or tied up, yeah, uh, going into the last round.
0: Well, I mean that's what I mean that's what happened sometimes last year. Yeah, like I think even at Worlds, Page was down mm-hmm. a lot of it, and yeah. she was she was way back and came back for the win. Yeah, that stuff's exciting. Mm-hmm. But it's basically going to be which player can consistently put that pressure on her. because yeah. there's going to be. I wouldn't be surprised if the next in one of the next two or three tournaments, Paige loses yeah because it's hard to dominate and play that good all the time she's not going to come outside the top three but yeah. i wouldn't be surprised if in the next two or three tournaments she loses to someone but the question is going to be let's say it was missy gannon that she lost to can missy keep her foot on the pedal and keep putting pressure on page so now hey i won one i've dethroned her I, I i can do this yeah now i have that confidence in my mind can she stay at that level or does she the next tournament fall off and Paige wins by 12 yeah. again and then everyone's right back to where we are right now
1: you learn you hear a lot of golfers talk about like being able to win like it's a skill like playing is one thing but like actually winning is a whole different animal because it's such a mental thing i feel exactly. like maybe somebody like missy can get one under her belt and then she figures out okay i can win and it changes everything yeah i think there. that's
0: what it i think that's what it just takes is i think because i think the same thing on the npo side is Back, if you go to 2014, 2015, or even just when Paul was dominant 2012 on, yeah, it, I feel like once Ricky beat him a few times, then Ricky like broke through this mentality of like, this guy's human, yeah. Like not only is this possible, but like I'm capable of doing this, and I just felt what it was like to do it, you know. And so then every year Ricky's getting hungrier and hungrier. 2014, they go to like a six or seven hole playoff for worlds, and Ricky's like, I'm this close, yeah. Like you know, in his head, he had to be thinking like. This is possible. I can do this. 2015, different story. But in 2016, 2017, Ricky does it. Mm -hmm. You know, and then that's where 2016, Paul was injured. But 2017, Ricky was dominant. Yeah. You know, Ricky just played, you know. And I think it was someone on FPO were kind of in the same state of who is going to be that player that can break through, realize, hey, Paige is human. Not only is she human, but I'm good enough to consistently compete with her. Because I think a lot of the players have the necessary skill but there's just something mentally holding them back because Paige, at least from the outside looking in, Paige seems like this untouchable yeah. player to where you might be going into a tournament thinking, okay, well, Paige is here. I'm playing for second, which that's not the mentality you need to have. You need to, I don't care if I come in 17th, I'm gunning for Paige yeah. and that's my goal. I'm I am winning this tournament or, you know, second is the same as last place to me. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the, the mentality that's separating a page and a Paul from the field a lot of times is Paul, I don't even know if Paul has second-place trophies anymore. No. I, I've never seen one. I know his second-place USDGC, he kept in a crate, and I asked him what he was going to do with it. He's like, if I ever win, I'll open it, but, like, I don't know. It might even still be in California right now. Like, that's the mentality, whereas yeah. other players are like, I just came in second. Yeah. Like, whoo-wee, I just got second <laughs> at a major. But Paige and Paul are in this whole different mindset of, like, Second place, I'm just as upset as if I came in dead last Yeah, because all I care about is winning. Mm-hmm. That's the mentality that I think is going to... Once a player can break to that point on the FPO side, we're going to be in for some seriously fun disc golf. But yeah. up until that point, it's not Paige winning all the time that makes it quote-unquote stale. It's just the lack of players playing close to her level currently is going to get boring the more it happens. Yeah. I think that's. I think that's going to be about about it like that's just the fact of the matter but you know talking about Paige and paul dominating with paul missing with the preserve obviously we talked about the birdie or ness of it it kind of left the door open to where i mean you're it's always exciting going into a weekend because you don't know who's going to win but it's really exciting when like paul's (laughs) not there because it's like who's going to see like a a winner like someone that normally doesn't win you know Probably most people expected Ricky to, um, which Ricky came in 17th, probably because of the birdie or die. The consistency didn't really matter, but it allowed us to have this battle with Nico, Simon, Calvin, Emerson, Drew Gibson was up there, Conrad, Eagle. I mean, so many players were within striking distance of this, but Nico obviously took it down, but in the last round, things at some point didn't start going Nico's way. And so Nico has a lot of diehard fans. And a lot of people that absolutely hate him, and there's not a lot of in between. Yeah, I'm I'm one of the ones in between, uh, but I'm probably one of like five percent of players that don't have an opinion either way on Nico. Yeah, like the majority of players are like die hard, like screw everyone else that hates Nico, and the other <laughs> players are like screw Nico and everyone that likes him, and that's kind of the state of disc golf right now. Yeah. And the reasoning is his the passion, if you want to call it that, or <laughs> temper tantrums, if you're on the other side, if you want to call it that. Yeah. So a player like Nico. Does he is it good for the sport? What do you like the the way he wears his heart on his sleeve, or yeah. does he need to dial it back?
1: Well, here's the thing I've always since I started following disc golf like way back when 2013, 2014, around then. Uh, I always kind of sided with Nico. I don't know why, <laughs> I have no idea why, but like Nico Locastro was somebody that like I guess I started watching like early on YouTube and was like, Yeah, Nico Locastro, I like this yeah. guy. Um, back then uh i think he was a little more subdued uh he had a, a bit of a rough patch where i think the game started getting away from him and it got really bad like and at this point i would call some things that were happening tantrums like yeah. when we're up when we're shaking baskets and things like that <laughs> here's the thing though nicole castro well if you even if you if you hate nicole castro that's, that's great because that's what the sport needs villains. Yeah. Okay. Like there, think about all the other sports you follow. There are player athletes that you cannot stand. A lot of them like Draymond Green is one that a lot yeah. of people just do not like. It's he, a polarizing thing. Yeah. He thrives off of that. And that is good for the sport. Sport needs to have villains. Now, there's always going to be a line between entertainment and where I draw the line is if you're being disrespectful to the course, um, the spectators or your card mates. Okay. Yeah. If you're doing something like that, then it's just, just no room for it. Like you gotta have this respect. But anything else, I care less. Like that's great for the sport. It's interesting. I yeah. want to see entertainment. We have a lot of guys that play professional disc golf right now that are essentially robots out there, and don't like. And it's fine. I mean, they're in their zone. They're competitive. It's it's whatever. But like, let's you know, I want. I like seeing a guy fist pump after he makes a yeah. big putt, or you know kick some dirt a little bit after throw one OB like it makes it interesting to me I don't we can't shy away from that we got to encourage people to be more dynamic personalities and guess what you become a more dynamic personality you become more marketable yep because people know who you are and if you're not going to be winning now Nico just did win but if you're not going to be winning you got to do something else to make people know to make people know you yeah um and yeah if your personality on the course that'll do the trick
0: yeah I I think so I think in Nico's particular case, he needs to dial it back a little bit, a little bit, simply because now I want the passion, I want the fist pumps, I want the I'm ticked off, and I think we see we see the ticked off more so from disc golfers and and Nico than we do the passion because yeah. like even even Paul will. When he was with Innova and he missed a shot with the Nova, like I felt bad for his Novas because those things were tacoed and rolled up into a burrito and you yep. know they're not coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, but like even players, Paul again slaps his leg. Shoestrick used to do that. When he'd mess up, he'd pick up the disc and wail on his leg. And yeah. you're, you're, you're watching thinking, <laughs> that guy's got to have a bruise on his leg now. Yeah. But that side of the sport, I'm fine. I love that because, like you said, that's it's more entertaining and it shows emotion, it lets you connect with a player more. And on the other side, like fist pumping and stuff like that after makes, we don't see it a lot. Mm-mm. Like Paul has his little like side fist pump that'll hit. Yeah. Uh, Sexton has a roundup fist yeah. uh, and like stuff like that. But we don't see like a lot of people like nah, getting yeah. super jacked because I think where Nico's anger and stuff will cross a line is when you're too loud. Yeah. Because in the at the same time, we want passion. We want stuff to be exciting to watch. But at the same time, we're playing a tournament and there's probably a hole right next to you where a guy's teeing off yeah. and you're screaming the F word at the top of your lungs. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh... I think we've all been there where we're, we're lining up a putt, and <laughs> yeah. someone like two holes over, you go down you just hear the F word screamed as loud yeah. as possible. And you're like, what the heck just happened?
1: And it's, I think it's tough too, because there's a different dynamic in disc golf, especially right now. But like, uh, in ball golf, like you're watching on TV, these guys are screaming, after they make a putt, you can't even hear them because the crowd's roaring so loud. Well. Yeah. They're feeding off of the crowd. So it looks a bit outlandish right now, but I, I mean I dream of a day where a guy can make a big putt, fist pump, scream, yell, whatever, and you can't even hear him yeah, because the stop. crowd is just yelling that loud. No, I think loud. that's
0: what like at the European Open. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of the the disc golf where you could do stuff like that because it's like the um in golf, they always say you can you always know where tiger's at
1: the tiger roar is different because
0: there is a different roar and there's also that's where the most people are i feel like in in disc golf you always know where paul's at yeah because i've been at worlds and stuff where paul's on the second card or he's not on the feature card or whatever and the lead cards gallery is half the size of paul's gallery Yeah, because when a player like paul or like tiger are down for the count they're on second or third card you know something's coming you know oh my word paul's about to tear this course a new one Mm -hmm. no offense to lead car but i want to watch that happen yeah so in those cases paul's just not a player to like really wear his heart on his sleeve especially when he does something good yeah most of the time if you ever if you're ever in person and you watch paul play it's different than when you watch paul play on camera because a lot of when paul gets ticked is after the camera's cut off after people are walking by and paul's putting his disc back in his bag then he lets his anger out and like against himself like come on dude what the heck are you doing yeah wake up you Mm -hmm. know what i mean so when you're watching paul on camera i'm sure this is true for some other players too he looks like a stone face killer like it looks like nothing phases him Mm -hmm. but if you've watched in person you know that some stuff does on the negative side on the when paul makes a big putt he is a stone face killer like he's like yeah, what do you mean? I expect to throw that 100-footer in. Yeah. You know, the most emotion I've seen is when he had that ace that Las the Vegas Thunderbird shot. Thunderbird. E- yeah, yeah, that's he right. He that, like, flex line, yeah. dead center, and ran up high and people because that was a big-time shot. But yeah. that's, like, that's the most emotion I've seen out of out of Paul. Whereas, yeah. Nico can miss – can be having the round of his life and miss a 20-footer, and you're going to know about it three holes over. Uh,
1: I don't think really, I, – it's tough for me to understand because, like, I'm just thinking – the adrenaline be going through my body. Like if I'm making some big putt to win an event, <laughs> like <laughs> I'm fist pumping pretty hard at that point yeah. or something. Cause yeah, I guess it's like one of those things act like you've been there before, but I haven't. So <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, maybe, maybe Paul's first big win. Last time I won was out. in
1: 2014 junior 15 and under boys.
0: But I, I do think, I think some players could be more like Nico. And the fact of show some emotion. Yeah. Let, let people connect with you. Let people, because I think that's relatable because we yeah. all, okay, I can't say we all. I sure as heck have missed a 10 footer and had like just in a tournament just be like ticked off and I just want to punch the ground. Or I want to do something. So <laughs> yeah. you can relate to Nico in like that aspect. And so I think every disc golfer can, because every disc golfer's hit the first tree and been like, oh my gosh, and you just want to blow up. Yeah. So you can relate to Nico in that aspect, but you need to dial it back a little bit. If you are Nico, if your other players act like Nico, because you're you're probably not going to go into a full-on temper tantrum if right now you're acting like a robot. But if you're Nico, dial it back a little bit so that it's still professional and you're not screaming, but at the same time you're you're showing your emotion. Yeah, I like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And you know, even like when he won the tournament. And he like yelled. He's like, "Kale, bring me my bear." He he held it up, and then Jeff Spring walked up to like try to get an interview. He's like, "I'm jumping in the lake. I'm jumping in the lake." Uh, Like, that's where you know it needs to be dialed back because it's like, (laughs) you won, celebrate, hold your trophy up. Now be professional, do the interview, keep your shirt on. Let's not jump in the lake right now. You (laughs) know what I mean? Um, so I I like I like Nico from like a passion side I just think he goes a step too far a lot of times yeah. and sometimes it bites him in the butt like I've seen him slam his uh stool down on the ground his disc pop up over his head and go rolling down the hill and like that's great I love that because it's like <laughs> yeah. that's what you got buddy go go fetch yeah. a ball um but but no like I don't know it's it's tough because like I said there's room for it other players probably need to show more emotion but Nico's one of the rare cases that needs to dial it back a little bit buddy let's uh let's rein it in you Yeah. Know, Settle down. Uh I think the the one other thing the preserve kinda showed us well, this isn't even really just the preserve. This is just something that I've talked about several times and I'm gonna keep talking about until found a win. Is spoilers. Spoilers yeah. and disc golf. This is, it, I, I'm so annoyed if a, if an event's live, okay? And everyone like I get people are at work, I get that stuff, but a lot of times happen on Saturday and Sunday. I get people still work Saturday and Sunday, but if an event's live and you have access to UDisc Live, which everyone does, because UDiscLive.com, yeah. um, and you can watch the results. Yeah. To me, the fair game time to post about the winner is the well, second he taps it. Yeah.
1: You have if it if there is a live event that is, literally anybody can access it, then yeah, you have no right to be like upset. It, like if you want to wait till post produce coverage comes out, then you need to yourself make a very conscious effort to stay off of social media. Yeah, like that's I like, yeah, that's just a, the bottom line. And
0: to me, if so, if Paul, let's say Paul, I'm going out to Idlewild most likely. Let's say Paul dominates Idlewild and wins. I should have every right fr- from Foundation social media to post a picture I just took of Paul winning to yeah. post on social media of Paul, you know, playing his round. Because it's a live event that's being live broadcasted and there's UDisc Live for it. Yeah. And to me, I always get annoyed when... Like on the Discord channel, we started a live tournament chat. So that... Excuse me. When events are going on, there's a spot where we can be... And if you're in the live tournament chat, it's a live tournament chat. You don't have to worry like about people getting upset about spoilers in there. The whole reason was in general chat... You know, like one of the first tournaments that happened after we had the Discord was you'd message like, well, did you see that putt on 18? People like, dude, I'm waiting for Jomez. Well, what do you mean? Who putted it? Like, I don't want to, like, stop. I don't want to hear it. I'm like, you're on a disc golf, (laughs) like, chat room. What? Like, you're going to hear what's going on. If you don't want to hear what's going on in the disc golf world and you want to wait for next day. Stay away from it. Why are you in a disc golf chat room right now? Yeah. Or why are you on Facebook and following Craft's page or yeah. PDGA or Disc Golf Pro Tour's You're page
1: for it at that point.
0: Yeah, it, it's I think it's ridiculous to a certain degree that when the Pro Tour posts their winner on Instagram, their first image just says "spoiler, swipe right to see the winner." Yeah, that's that's like, ridiculous. What? Like this? Why is that a thing? That that's yeah. all. And I know I'm probably taking so many people off because <laughs> the main way disc golf's consumed currently is post-produced. Yeah, and people somehow can. Hold the urge to look at coverage and winners. Like, Never. I don't know how you people do it. Props to you because there is not a chance if disc golf is happening that I'm not refreshing the live score. Yeah. Even if I can't watch the live stream, I'm refreshing the score. Especially mm-hmm. you, disc, it's basically like you're watching it because it'll be yeah. like, oh, Paul's on the fairway on 18. Oh, yeah. Simon just threw OB on 18. Oh, Nico's inside circled one or circle two for his eagle on 18. Like, you mm-hmm. feel like you're there. Yeah. yeah. And so. I don't know. Spoilers for a while have just kind of bugged me because, especially as it from a media side, like when you're about to post, like when you're about to make a post about a event, and the first thing you have to think of is like, hopefully this doesn't offend anyone because it's a spoiler. Like, should I wait for twenty four hours after or whatever? Like,
1: yeah, imagine that happening with like an NFL football game.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's one thing. Is imagine <laughs> any other? It's just so sport.
1: not applicable to any other sport.
0: like Like, when when are you ever gonna get mad at someone for like like if you went back on my instagram a week ago my last post and it was intentional was me freaking out when duke hit that uh winner over unc back in freaking february or something well like imagine me posting that and my comments just being shredded how dare you spoil this game for me yeah like what any other sports world that's not a thing like that doesn't exist it doesn't yeah it's weird it's like
1: a movie thing
0: yeah and yeah, it's very I get, different i get that i get the movie yeah. side because it's like you know the movie just came out what do you mean yeah like it's not everyone sitting down you you're watching it live and then it's done yeah a movie's a different animal than live sports like i don't know spoilers i just have always gotten upset about because i don't know and it's always i think part of it too is the people that complain are always the loudest and that just goes for life it's true in general yeah. so like it probably seems like a bigger issue than it actually is because like if i'm scrolling and I see a spoiler, I'm not going to comment on it because I don't care. Yeah. I saw it. Whatever. I already watched it live. Well, yeah. the people that are upset are the ones that are going to comment. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you make a post and 3,000 people see it and 100 people comment, it feels like everyone in the world's upset over it when in reality, 2,900 people scrolled past it mm-hmm. and I didn't care. And 100 people were like, oh my gosh, did you just spoil this for me? I'm waiting for Jomez. Yeah. So, the moral of the story is day after a tournament just stay off social media just stay off of it, yeah yeah. if you if you have the like self-control to wait for jomez or
1: even unfollow those accounts that might spoil it
0: yeah that's true too but if you have the if you have the like self-control to be able to wait full 24 hours or maybe even a little bit more to see the round coverage yeah you have the self-control to stay <laughs> off social media that's true because i have neither yeah no and so if i like if i'm going on social media like if if a if a tournament's happening, I cannot wait the day to watch it. No, that's why. Like, I don't know. I'm a huge fan of like post produced quality, and I'm glad we have post produced coverage so we can actually see what's going on a lot of times. Yeah, but it's just it's sports. Sports is meant to be watched live.
1: It's true. It is that is very true. <laughs> so,
0: I don't know. I think the the spoiler side is just one of the many many sides of it because live sports should be the way sports are consumed. Absolutely. It's it's going to get I think it's going to get hairy here in the next few years as a disc golf The fan. transition
1: is going to be very rough. And the question is will s- it be abrupt? It could be abrupt if a company like Jomez like merges with the Pro Tour and starts doing their live coverage and then that and since they're really the pioneer right now for those events and then if Pro Tour says no post-produced that's what I'm people wondering. are able to come to our event. If those two things happen, it can be very abrupt. Because that's, what, that's what I'm wondering. It's the like, only post-produced we'll see then is little B-tiers in Minnesota and whatnot.
0: Like what What if the Pro Tour this off season? I don't have any insider information. This is speculation, so don't get ticked thinking the Pro Tour <laughs> is doing this. But what if they just made a post saying all 2021 events will be only live broadcast on the Disc Golf Network? And no post-produced will be happening. Like, just imagine the disc golf world.
1: I there'd be. I think if they do something like that, they would need to get Jomez. Because that's the only thing that keep people from really freaking out. Because yeah. people trust Jomez.
0: So, what is... Because, obviously, live sports is the future. I think even people that are upset about it still understand that that's coming down the pipeline at some point. Yeah. What is the right way to transition from where we're at now to live sports? to only live is there a right way like is ripping the band-aid off the best the best method
1: well you have to wait until live coverage is incredibly reliable and done super well it's it's getting there yeah i wouldn't say it's there yet to where like i i still want i still want post bruise coverage just in case that's true right now it's like insurance right now yeah but once it gets there to the point where like yeah live coverage is just about as good it's very close. Then, yeah, you just gotta rip off the Band-Aid, I think. And think the Pro Tour forward? holds the cards; they can just say you're not coming. Like, no yeah. other cameras at this event. So, yeah, I think so.
0: See, to me, I think I think, I think that's the, the way th- things need to be done in the sport. I think the easiest way to like ease it, because the the tough part is this is such a radical change. Which I mean, you talked about. I think it was last week. We you need were saying, radical change. You were saying, you know, how young the sport is. We need to welcome radical. Because yeah, guess like what?
1: That. You could always. Reverse the decision. Yeah. In one event.
0: <laughs> to me, it's such a radical change that it needs to be phased in. So I think it starts with it either starts one or two ways. It either starts with the post produced coverage is the same, but the Pro Tour holds the media rights for a week. So like okay. So it doesn't get released it, for a week. But if you want to watch it, it's gonna be next Saturday. So if I'm an sure. event's happening this Saturday, I like that. it's dropped next Saturday. Yeah, I like that. Or the only way you can watch lead card coverage is live. So now yeah. Jomez is taking Chase card, CCDG is taking third card and it's phased in that way. Yeah. Um those are good options. I think it I think it needs to be phased in somehow because especially the absolute wrong way to do it would be for the Pro Tour, which they tried to do this last year with Steve Dodge, is cut Jomez out. Yeah. That's nice. the the you're asking for A nightmare you're asking for players to riot and uproar and you know end of the day disc golf fans are going to watch disc golf but at the same time that's not going to be a good look
1: no jomez is good for the sport we need we need jomez but i think we need jomez to be helping us work towards live coverage yeah because let's think about jomez let's think about why jomez is an asset for a second jomez is an asset because yeah like they do really good graphics and like they do like like that is like a big part of Jomez, I think. We can see, oh, this is the distance of the putt or the fall of flight. But really the bottom line is Jomez's camera skills are just unmatched. Yeah. They're really good at filming disc golf. So we want I want them filming the live coverage. Yeah. I want those guys manning the cameras.
0: The question I think is it's gonna be tough. It all it's all gonna come down to what Jomez's future is, what their plan is for their future. Because yeah. there's two ways. Like Jomez right now. I talked to them like a year ago about live coverage, and they said that they were looking into it, but it was just so expensive. But now, I think that option's kind of off the table for Jomez to create a Jomez Live because okay. we have the Disc Golf Network, mm-hmm. and you know Jomez Live could coverage national tour and stuff, but most likely the national tour isn't going to be the big tour. No. Like It looks like the pro tour is kind of going to take that over, especially the direction it's headed. Mm-hmm. So now Jomez's option if they want to get into the live game is to almost be bought out by the pro tour or something along those lines. It could be Jomez live through the disc golf network, but yeah. it's going to be disc golf pro tour branded. Is what yeah. I'm saying. Unless maybe, maybe the disc golf network and disc golf pro tour can come to an agreement of like Jomez live is like their channel to where like Jomez pays for the media rights to, it would probably be something along the lines of like, you know, disc golf
1: network brought to you by Jomez or something like that, or produced by Jomez. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they obviously want to keep their name, but it's going to be tough where they sit right now. It's going to be tough.
0: Cause I think, uh, what would be amazing is first off the Jomez guy who does their like profiles. And I saw him out there for the CBS sports stuff. So that's why I'm real excited. That guy I forget his name. I wish I remembered his name. Super nice guy. I met him at Worlds. Um, but the guy who put together all the profile stuff, he even the music. If you watch the profiles, and it's like the Jomez with violins. Mm-hmm. This dude played it. Like this, this guy shot it, edited it, and was the one who played the music in the background of wow. like on a violin. The Jomez theme slowly. Like this guy's talent is so out far the outside the disc golf world. Yeah, they're really talented. <laughs> yeah, which he he doesn't work full time with Jomez because I asked him why and. Basically, they couldn't afford him. He was like, you know, it'd be a dumb decision, basically, for me to forego what I can do money-wise to to be with Jomez, which makes a lot of sense. There's not a lot of money in disc golf right now. But I think people like him, who are just insanely in love with disc golf and insanely good at what he does, plus people like Juan over Stable Studios, who does the graphics for Jomez, Mm -hmm. who I'm pretty sure he's done freelance work for, like, Amazon and stuff before. Like, they, they have some of the, like insanely good people in the industry that just love disc golf so they work with jomez if you can find a way to get them plus the jomez team of jonathan and you know they they have like eight cameramen now If you can find a way to get them all to take on the like production side of live like you were saying and if there's a way to have like the b-roll set up from jomez to have follow flight mike you know is sitting there and i don't know how fast he can crank out a follow flight but if this guy can get where he can crank out a follow flight in like five minutes to where you can film a shot, it happens on like the chase card, you're yeah. sending it to Mike and he's sitting there putting the follow flight in. And then it's like, let's take a look at this shot that was on hole eight from chase card. Yeah. And then it's a follow flight in live coverage.
1: Well, that's the thing. It's like, cause follow flight, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but like that. that's, yeah, that's like an editing technique that they're doing to make, it's to, meant to look like pro tracer technology. Yeah. It'd be great if we just had Pro Tracer technology. It would be great, but I don't know how
0: accurate that's going to be in the woods.
1: Well, Pro Tracer, the thing about Pro Tracer, it's not, people think, like, it's not tracking the golf ball. Yeah. It's tracking the speed, rotation, launch um, angle, and, it knows, jangled, and it knows where it's going to go. That's what I'm saying. Is that, so that's that's mm-hmm. tough in the
0: woods because it can know where it's going but the second that thing hits a tree yeah and kicks into the basket or something that pro tracer's gonna be like oh yeah. look it was on Anheuser. it's gonna keep going this way
1: i don't know if pro tracer is ever really gonna happen in disc golf no
0: because i think that it's got to be it's either got to be after effects you where you like pinpoint a disc and the after yeah. effects just traces the disc yeah or it's got to be someone manning it tracing the, the disc yeah but I see what you're saying. Either way, cool. if you can mix that into live and you can, like, take the Jomez... If you can take Jomez and put them into live, then you can rip the Band-Aid off and no one's upset, I feel like. Yeah. Because now you have Jomez, which everyone loves for good reason, and live coverage, which is the future. But the second they try to separate those two things, you're going to have some serious division in disc golf. Yeah. And so, I don't know how it's phased in, but... Um, and I also don't know how we got here from talking about spoilers, but it, I think it's got to be phased in somehow. I think ripping the band aid off is going to be uh, a tough one. But at the same time, I'm going on record, disc golf community, brace yourself. Within the next, I think, two to three years, we're only watching live coverage. Three
1: years, yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think
0: two good. to three, you know, I don't think it's 2021, but I think coming soon. Brace only yourself. for
1: like the pro tour yeah well be, yeah
0: who's gonna go live for a b tier or like uh yeah uh even nts i don't think the pdga is gonna oh, okay another hot take i don't think the NTS is around in three to five years i hope not i think it's gone if it is around it's like the web.com tour where you're you're qualifying well i want to
1: see tour. some nt events in the pro tour so
0: yeah i don't I just don't see where two tours is sustainable. I don't think that makes sense. No. Because I, I think I think players are going to choose one over the other. And to be honest with you, I think players are choosing the Pro Tour. Sure, So we'll I don't... It, yeah. If, if it were me when I was the national tour right now, and we canceled it this year because of COVID, and they're watching the Pro Tour, and the Pro Tour is killing it, I'd be like, this is the perfect time. Let's hand the reins over. Yeah. It's like, let's... We got the events already lined up. The next year, the Pro Tour can take those on to the Pro Tour. And... Let's take a step back here yeah. as the PDGA and let's become the sanctioning body, the rules body, and we're the we're the people that you know can run the like am side of the sport, yeah, and lower pro side. But yeah, so I think in the next three to five years, there's no NTS and it's all live. Hope, it's, it's wishful thinking. It, it, it's gonna be interesting, and I think it's gonna make a lot of disc golfers mad, but.
1: It's. I think there needs to be a lot of things that happen to make a lot of discoverers mad yeah. for the sport to grow.
0: It's going to be an interesting. I think we're we're entering an interesting year, a few years of a whole lot of growth. So, all right, that's going to wrap it up for this week. Uh, some foundation news. Depending on when you watching when you are watching this, we had a Discraft uh, restock hit our site, and we also had some one line custom stamps um hit our site as well. The online stuff is sick. Yeah, it was I don't know. I honestly don't even know what plastic the zones are in. They gave us some really good because stuff. Because they're like I've never it doesn't look like discraft plastic, but if you are watching this and it's already sold out, don't worry, we'll run more. And if you're watching this and it's still on the site, trust me on this, pick up a zone. Um we also have some new apparel and other custom stamps coming in by the end of this month. And again, depending on when you're watching this, the Battle for Bedford, although it is full, we will be allowing spectators be looking for a post about that soon. We just have to figure out the parking logistics is the biggest thing. Yeah. And then um, there's also going to be a Foundation versus the Nation event the day before the tournament. Be looking again for a post with all the details about how to be involved in that, uh, what exactly it's going to look like. Basically, you're going to get to be in a video, and all the money that we raise from that event is going towards um, the new course, Vin Horse Park. We're putting in this pretty sick—I say we—Bedford County's putting (laughs) it in. Foundation Nation is donating the money through the Foundation Versa Nation um, to to put in this sick deck that you can tee off of on one of the one of the holes. It's going to be iconic, and we're going to get a sign that says brought to you by the foundation nation be pretty cool so i'm um, super excited about that and then finally hopefully this is one of the last podcasts you see in this setting in my basement yeah. um pretty soon we should have a nice black wall behind us with a some sick uh i actually don't fully know what's gonna go on the back wall but we'll be in a new spot is what i'm saying we're gonna have yeah. a new hq uh it's gonna be exciting um but yeah i think that's about it for this week You anything else to say no, I think that about wraps it up. All right. So thank you guys so much for either listening or watching us on YouTube. If you haven't already on YouTube, go ahead and check out our podcast channel, which you might be watching this on right now. But if you're listening, we got a lot of clips. If you want to just go watch little snippets of different parts of our podcast, um, I think that's something that people are really going to enjoy. And you don't have to listen to the full hour podcast. If you want to just listen to little or watch little uh, clips pulled out, that is the place to do it. Um, but thanks ag- thanks again, guys. And we'll talk to you next week.